0: Hey, thanks to all of you who have already subscribed to the Pointless Exercise newsletter. Uh, And for those of you who haven't, I don't know why you haven't, uh, it's getting rave reviews like uh, Rex Reed from Vanity Fair said, Pointless Exercise is a thing that exists. Uh, We're extending the 15% off sale until Friday. Seemed weird to end it at (laughs) midnight on a Wednesday. So now you'll have until the end of the day Friday. So go to PointlessExercise.com and sign up for the newsletter and you get 15% off for the first year. Well, I can see you're a, a fine connoisseur of podcasts because you're here at the Pointless Exercise podcast. And I'm not sure which podcast you're listening to, although I, I probably could customize this commercial to all of them, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the current podcast lineup dot PointlessExercise.com to make sure you're not missing anything. First of all, there's the award-winning Cubs podcast that I've been doing for Years the lineup changes all the time, but you're unfortunately, you're always stuck with me. This year, same guys are back from last year. Sam Fell's from Deadspin, and Kyle Record from uh, Wisconsin, and now he lives in Chicago. Then there's a couple of newish podcasts. There's remember this crap with Mike Donahue. If you haven't heard this, oh, you're in for a treat. We put Mike's encyclopedia encyclopedic memory for banal events in. Chicago sports history, especially the Cubs and the Bears, to the test we're in. uh, We are going to try to hit every Cubs season between 1980 and 2011 at some point during this. So uh, tune in. Uh, It's a lot of fun. We, We throw out a year, and we just start remembering crap. And then, as if that's not enough, there's the Movie Deep Dive podcast with actor, comedian, and our bear expert, has nothing to do with with this podcast, uh, Mike Pusateri, Uh, where we pick some of our favorite movies, and we do exactly what it sounds like. We dig deep into it, we dig up sound clips, we talk about the cast, we talk about the directors, we talk about how the movie got made, and we talk about our favorite parts in the movies. So, that's plenty of podcasts, and you only have to go to one place to find them, that's PointlessExercise.com.
1: Don Bailey would love to have a cape walk every now and then, but this ball club is not going to do that They're gonna get great pitching some timely hitting good defense And when you have all those ingredients add them all up, it's gonna be one and two run ball games. Broken bat flare left field base hit Ricky around third here comes the throw oh, nice Ricky steps. fell down and now the Cubs have runners all over the place Fasano throws to second Girardi in a rundown between first and second Helton Let's try it. Nobody's at first. Oh. There's the tag out runner coming home. He is out. Oh, safe. 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 Cubs, Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. The stretch kick and pitch.
0: There's a fly ball. Yeah. Going to deep to right. Back goes Sosa. That's oh. a win. That's a game winner. Wow. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you doing?
1: Good, Andy. Watching, uh, watching the Cubs score their first run in about 17 innings and um, basically just go down in another weak, frustrating effort. It hey, you know, provided me the opportunity to look forward to this. They're red hot. They got multiple hits today.
0: I believe it took them, what, they're until like the 7th? A,
1: yeah, have to get to one them. and then I think
0: they got their second and the eighth they're pacing themselves you can't you can't waste all these hits early in the season' yeah. they're gonna they're gonna come August and September they're gonna average like 28 hits a game it's gonna be a sight to see
1: sign me up um, in in the meantime though in, in all seriousness you know it does get frustrating obviously and it has been for years but uh I do uh now I'm actually looking forward to this because who knows maybe we'll spin on a winning season uh, after uh wallowing through a couple of mediocre uh seasons through the Tribune Mediocrity by Design. Yeah, we might we'll oh, maybe we'll hit a big one.
0: So um yeah. so to, I suppose I should plug well I don't have to. There's a commercial before us. I don't have to plug the pointless exercise newsletter. Although sure. if you want to sign up, you can. Um so in the way this podcast works is we have a wheel that has every year from nineteen eighty, is that when we started? Yep. To 2011, poor poor Mike Quaddy got left out. Um, no, Dale's Fame got left out. Huh. Mike Quaddy. Yeah. Hopefully 2011 goes last. We'll save the best for last. Uh, we, we spin the wheel, and whatever year it lands on, we're talking about it. We haven't done any research. We haven't done anything. It's remember this crap. We're just going to try to remember stuff. Uh, it's much more exciting than it sounds. So far, this is the third edition of this of the Cub version of this podcast. We did an entire Bear season. You can go back and listen to those. Um, we have so far done the exciting years of 1997 and 1992, and we're about to spin the wheel, and the only proviso we have is that if it lands on, because we did 92 last week, if it lands on 91 or 93, we're going to re-spin, because it's a little too close. It's, basic, it's always going to be basically the same clowns, just a different circus.
1: You can, you can only have so much Louis right. Salazar in your diet on a multiple-week basis, so, you know. So, but here we go. We're
0: going to spin the exciting wheel. And if you hear the sound effect, it's going to sound a lot like the sound effect for the wheel that we spin for the movie podcast, uh, mostly because it is the same wheel with different stuff on it.
1: Oh, look what's coming. Give me a one. Give me a one. This will be good.
0: Two thousand and one. Very great. Um, Uh, Okay, so the way we start now is, off the top of your head, you're going to tell me five things about the 2001 Cubs.
1: Five fast facts off the top of my head. This is the first Cubs team in our lifetime that legitimately contended for the postseason and failed. Um, That's fact number one. Um, Fact number two, it was Don Baylor's second season and his only only winning season for the Cubs. Uh, Fact number three... uh, There might not have been a hotter relief pitcher in April of that year than Jeff Vassero, who uh, picked up for the newly signed and yet opening up the season injured Tom Flash Gordon, stepped into the closers role and uh, I believe earned saves in about the first six games. Cubs got off to a good start. Fact number four, 2001 Cubs. Sammy Sosa had what is easily statistically the most ridiculously – uh, powerful offensive season in Cubs history and would I would think would probably rank in the top 10 of all time. We know it's the steroid era, but uh, everything being relative, incredibly impressive. We'll take a dive into that, uh, I'm sure. And then fact number five, 2001 Cubs. What can I tell you? That's the year the Cubs drafted Mark Pryor. Uh, but I would expect a little more prior talk in subsequent years because uh, he had to pitch in the World Series, the College World Series that season, and didn't actually come up until the next year. But they did draft him. Things were looking pretty good in one So,
0: okay, so you mentioned uh, Jeff Vesereau being hot, and I think you mean that in more than one way
1: because he's
0: a so. handsome man. Do you remember what the Discipio nickname for Jeff Vesereau was?
1: Holy crap! I cannot.
0: He was, I, f- although I. I the troll he was the troll troll. and he had this weird thing on his right (laughs) earlobe like i'm glad we didn't have hd because i don't think we i don't think we could have taken it but there was something growing on his earlobe um but yes he uh he had a (laughs) he had a bout he had a bout of greatness that unfortunately uh, he could not sustain
1: i was uh pressured to know that answer and and I and I did know that later, but I was not actually following DeCipio in 2001. 2003 was my first year. But oh. even though Fasera was gone, I think he pitched for the Cardinals. I do now remember that that was. Uh, but that's 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 pretty good coinage, and and I do remember that earlobe. Uh, thing of good old Jeff Fasero. All right, so the
0: 2001 Cubs, 88 and 74. Um, they were they were an excellent home team, 48 and 33 at home, 40 and 41 on the road. The old win, you know, win the majority of your game. Well, what are you supposed to win? Two-thirds of your games at home and go 500 on the road in your playoff team? They didn't quite do so, that. Something like that. Um, they, how many well, – Oh, I shouldn't say how many. Did they have a losing month?
1: Um, They may not have. They were uh, – yeah, I know that they had a um, – like a nine-game winning streak in late May, early June that had come on the heels of like – a seven game losing streak uh so i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna guess no but that if they did it would have been may of 2001 they had two
0: and they're just the months you want them to be may and september august and september oh (laughs) yeah well they uh and then they were 506 games in october remember the uh the season went late that year because there was a uh a very sad uh like a week where there were no Mm -hmm. games after the towers yeah. fell,
1: yeah, due to the September 11th bombings, uh, one of the um, upshots of that would have, would be that the first World Series game played in November would take place in 2001. That happens sometimes. Now, happen.
0: How many days do you think the 2001 Cubs spent in first
1: place? Um, I can make a calculated guess here because they 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 were in first place. Actually, I want I'm pretty sure they were for a good chunk of the summer um into august so um well and they were both 500 in may i'm gonna say they spent uh 79 days in first place more than half the season if you count
0: only the days that there were games played they spent 96 days in first place if you count all days of the season including off days 112 okay they fell out of first place on august 17th never to return Okay. they had on June 22nd, they had a six game lead in the NL Central. And on September 27th, they were nine games behind.
1: (laughs) I I can just from like memory, I can kind of remember the flow of the season. They um, first of all, as far as just providing the context going in, it was like I said at the the top, it was Baylor's second season. And um, and it was also there. We were still this is the third time that we're doing. Tribune 2, Tribune Era 2, you know, mediocrity by design. Uh, but it was a little bit different than the other two because this season it actually kind of worked. Uh, a team that they had slapped together uh, that was designed to be, you know, okay. Uh, they're going to draw and they might, you know, the, the combinations might work and they're going to be in contention. And it was actually, it was a fun season. I, I generally, in spite of the heartbreak, which we'll get into some games down the stretch, no doubt. Uh, it was generally uh, a kind of a positive season and it was coming on the heels of a very this season, even though there was... Don Baylor coming in in 2000, uh, they were still kind of a mess. Ed Lynch had gotten fired somewhere around 2000, so even within Tribune Two, there was some moving parts in the front office. There, you know, even if they, even if this uh, the system that they had designed was operating pretty efficiently from year to year, um, you know, I think maybe for if for no other reason than cosmetic pur- you know, pr- purposes, they made moves like get rid of Ed Lynch and and eventually groom Jim Henry for the job. But oddly enough, in 2001, this was sort of the gap year where uh mr sweater vest himself andy mcvail was forced to even though he was running a profitable franchise they were you know they maybe been a little too bad in 99 and 2000 and he was actually having to come downstairs and service the gm so yes. he had to uh, humble
0: himself by had doing, humble himself by doing a job
1: yeah. yeah by doing a job uh which he thought he would never have to do again after he uh you know was able to catapult himself out of minnesota so um so going in, so what do you have, you know, I mean, Kerry Wood is obviously promising, but he's, uh, you know, often injured and um, you know, John Lieber is reliable. Lieber would go on to have his best years as a cub. And that was part of the thing that made the, is a lot of players really sort of came together and had really good years, which if they were really good players would have probably had a much more, even more positive outcome. But instead you had, you know, like Ricky Gutierrez, just, you know, kind of holding it down at short. Uh, Bill Miller is their third baseman until his knee got shredded in May. And so they had to hang it out with, you know, Ron, future broadcaster Ron Coomer and his 299 on base percentage. Yes.
0: Former Cub and All-Star. Ron, yes, very, very carefully worded by right. Virgil Pettus.
1: Uh Rondell White, Ron D.L.
0: White, yeah, who um, who I my, loved him. Yes, one of my favorites. He just couldn't when he was when he played. He was awesome.
1: He, just he didn't was. play very much great right-handed hitter, uh, left field when he was healthy, and, you know, Corey Patterson was still, we had hope for him, so there was, you know, there was some promise. Uh, we'll get into Sosa maybe later, but I just wanted to say going into the season, though, you know, we didn't really know what we had. We didn't know we had in Patterson, right? He uh, he actually showed us some things there, so it could have gone bad there. We weren't sure. Bill Miller was just there, a good glove man that they got for Tim Warell, so, but they got off to a good start, and they got off to a good start, mostly because of their starting pitching and Fasero stepping in to get those saves. They lost the first two uh, games against the Expos, hung in there, uh, took one, and they kind of they got a little bit hot, and they got good outings out. It seemed like Wood um – and, and I think Wood almost finally made it through a season uninjured until August. He had to do a couple weeks, but Wood had a nice season. Lieber had a really good season, uh, but they also got good years out of three and four, which um, Jason Bure, believe it or not, um, had, had filled in, uh, in uh, very well. And Christ, Andy, I hope you're looking at it, because I couldn't even tell you the third pitcher right now off the top of my head, so I'm a little bit uh, uh, verklempt. But the fifth starter was essentially Hewley and Taveras, um, and they all pitched well. Uh, early on, and they you know got timely hitting and they won close games. and Facero nailed them down. You have, you and, have
0: forgotten an all time great that we mentioned in the podcast last week. Um, because a, it I'm was a, the a, juxtaposition uh, of uh him and a Hy-Vee, and Jaime Navarro.
1: That's it. Oh, Tappany, Kevin yeah, Tappany. Duh. right, okay. So even T- so Tampany was still was he there in that he rotation? Twenty
0: nine starts for them. He was thirty seven years old.
1: Okay. Okay. He uh my guess is and I'm not looking at it, but I he must have pitched well. It just felt like he did not have everything, pitched terribly well. He did okay. Well, nine and then, fourteen
0: with a four forty nine ERA.
1: Well, I'm going to guess that a lot of that happened late. It just felt like they were clicking early. They were an overachieving team, uh, and, they, and they were clicking. And so, and you take you through. They come into early May for one of their early tests. I remember this vividly, and they go into St. Louis with this 30, you know, so-called 22-year-old rookie who's, like, hitting everything in sight. And the Cubs go into a big showdown, early season showdown in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm talking about Albert Pujols. But who- they got sw- – they no, got never heard swept. It. it was i mean so many things happened in that series like the friday night pools i'm pretty sure went yard first game he played the Cubs. saturday game um uh or the or the sunday game was the one i remember where bill bill miller uh who was it ter- probably the best fielding third baseman i'd seen up until that point play for the cubs he went for a foul ball and bush Dave tore up his leg fernando vina took a pitch from Kerry wood that was about to hit him in the face and got a triple down the line. It was just, it was a setback, but the Cubs bounced back. I I know they had a, a, they did have a winning streak later on and, and they were in it that summer. And so I would, you know, I was, I remember being in fantasy baseball leagues and, you know, some of the more idiotic trash talk you'd engage in some dudes, a Sox fan. He's like, Cubs always choke. And I'd always go out of my way to go No, the Cubs, they don't choke. That's the thing. They suck. But when they're in, when they're in contention, They finished the deal, which up until that point in my lifetime, 84, 89, and 98. Those are the only three times that the Cubs were legitimately a contender in August, and in all three cases, they went to the playoffs. As it turned out, 2001 would be the first team that was legitimately in the playoffs uh, before uh, bowing out. So I have three games in my head that, you know, that are like the signature games that happened those last six weeks. You mentioned August 17th being, uh, when they fell out of first place. And I'm just going to figure that somewhere around the time where who had lost his effectiveness, gave up the grand slam to Ryan Klesko in San Diego. <sighs> yes, That's one. And then there's, uh, the Florida game. So we can, we can look into all three of those. They're all back, backbreaking road losses. All right. Um,
0: so, uh, it, let's get to individual games in a minute. I want to go through this uh, star Stud roster of theirs. Um, so this was the first year without Mark Grace. Yep. and they replaced him. Do you, do you remember? Was the plan to replace him with two guys? Nope. Was it? It was supposed to be Matt Stairs, five foot eight inch Matt Stairs, playing first base every day. Not him and Coomer platooning. Because where was Coomer supposed maybe. to play?
1: Coomer was not signed as a starter, really. I, he was no. sort of an extra. So he was an maybe maybe all-star. Was. Pat tells us. He was an all-star, of course, for all you youngsters at home because of the Major League Baseball rule that each team must send a representative to the all-star team. Sorry, Ron, but that's the truth. I believe, I believe it was 1999 where Ron Coomer earned his uh, immortal distinction, which will be you know, is memorialized in baseball It's a constant
0: reminder that every team has to have an all-star.
1: That's right. Uh, I, you know, I, I had nothing against Coomer as a player. He was like, uh, yeah, he was a corner man. First base, third base. I think he played third for the Twins. Uh, but And he, I'm sure he was. it was designed for him to probably back up Stairs because Stairs was yeah. a left-handed hitter. Uh, maybe get lefty platoons. And it turned out they needed Coomer more than they than they expected, though, at third because of Miller's injury. So and it really did hurt.
0: So do you remember the big free agent signing before the season?
1: Uh, was it not Ron DL?
0: No, I think they traded for Rondell. Did they? Yeah, this was a guy that this went so disastrously wrong that, uh...
1: Oh, oh, of course. Todd Hundley. Todd Hundley. Yes,
0: he's a a legacy. That was
1: was the the first year. That was the first year. I thought it was 2000 for a minute. You're right. So, do you remember where he came from? Um... Well, he, he was he, the
0: Dodgers, yes, right? Right. He went from the Mets to the Dodgers, and then the Cubs would then, in one of Jim Hendry's best trades, would eventually him back to the Dodgers,
1: but and get yeah, two
0: two useful pieces time. for one not be- very not useful piece.
1: And, and that's a signing you, you would put uh, you would put directly on Andy Frick and McPhail because, yeah. and, and there, there is no nostalgia for Hundley. Let's at least among knowledgeable fans. Uh, I think I told the story maybe in a bears podcast. So I feel like I told the story, <laughs> but I don't tell it again. I remember I worked in an office and there are plenty of, you know, Cubs and Sox fans. There's another Cub fan named Mike and I was good friends with him for a while. And, uh, and, and, we were this is 2001, and you know, Hundley, Todd Hundley at that point, he was a local uh, friend high school in Palatine. Obviously, played for Rand, I mean, he was the son of uh, former Cub catcher Randy Hundley. Um, and he had been an all star himself, legitimately. He was, uh, I believe he may have become the Mets' all time leading home run hitter for a catcher, or he said he said a he said some sort of a home oh, he run. Mark he hit he hit 41 for home runs in
0: 1996 and 30 yeah. more in 97
1: he was a switch hitting catcher. Um, and he, um, yeah, and he had, he had a run, you know, he was projected to do it. He was the first round pick. I remember when he was drafted around here, the local papers were all, you know, quick to point it out. Mets drafted him in 87. He was up by the early nineties. He showed some flash. Uh, there are probably myriad reasons why he didn't, you know, wasn't able to sustain it, but just put it simply, I guess baseball is a tough game and, uh, he got injured and he moved to left field at one point And that was a disaster. um, and, you know, I guess he still had a bat, but when they signed him, I just remember Mike and I in the office, like, no, don't do, don't sign tight. Like, there's, why would you? And it's just one of those deals where it was even worse than uh, than you, you expected, than you feared.
0: Yeah. He, was he'd a, had, he was a designer. He'd had a good year with the Dodgers in 2000, but in, in only 90 games, he hit 24 homers, drove in 70 runs hit 284, 375,
1: 579. So they were like, ooh, this is going to work. So, I mean, God, the guy, all right.
0: Yes. Um. So he got hurt, I think he got hurt in 97. And so um, with him, because he only played 132 games that year. I think he got hurt towards okay. the end of the season, which then opened up catcher in 98 mm-hmm. for them to trade for Mike Piazza after his one day layover in Florida.
1: That's right. So was uh, stealing Piazza.
0: stealing Piazza out from under the Cubs, who had been rumored to be the most likely location for him. But apparently, the uh, the Marlins uh, just couldn't be tempted by Pat Klein and <laughs> whoever else the Cubs. Were. I don't Terry. I don't, Adams. I don't, Would no. you like a Terry Adams? How about a Terry Adams
1: and a Pat Klein? Andy, I got to confess, I don't either. I that rate that rumor never came across my radar, or I simply can't remember. I think that the Cubs were close to landing Piazza oh yeah. in '98.
0: <laughs> yes, they were supposed to get him. That was going to be there. I were, mean, there were two huge trades in '98 that the Cubs were all over. Randy and Johnson, they, yes, right and they didn't get they didn't do either one, uh, but then they did make huge moves. We could save this for '98, but they did get <laughs> <same> they <laughs> did get Matt Karchner and Felix Haredia instead. So, I mean, <laughs> pretty much the and same they, thing.
1: Yes, but they did have to give up Todd Noel, Kevin Ory, and all right, and then John
0: Garland to get. Man well, that's Hatch. the big one. That's the legit. Yeah, Dylan Cease no. of a of a previous decade. Um, yep. Yeah. Perhaps. So then, so then Hundley went around and wandered around in left field, and made, basically made Kyle Schwarber look like Gary Pettis. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah, it was a disaster. But he he regrouped for that one year in LA, like you said, and he you know and that salvaged his. He got a multi-year deal, and only Andy McPhail was dumb. You know, it, it fit with the thinking at the time, right? He was a maybe a useful player still. Uh, he was a local guy that probably can't hurt. Um, you know, <laughs>
0: so, this Cubs roster is a is a testament to how good their farm system was back then. So their most commonly used catcher was Todd Hundley. First base was Matt Stairs. Second base, Eric Young, who yeah. came from the Rockies yeah. Sh- with Don Sh- Free agent
1: signing, yeah, yeah. Shortstop,
0: Ricky Gutierrez,
1: another from yeah. Humor, who was the Astros. Coomer,
0: played third base. And if Ed it wasn't Miller. him, it was, it was Miller, and he yeah. wasn't one These of those These are
1: all, either. like, middle-aged veterans. Yes.
0: Left field, Rondell. Center field, another legacy, Gary Matthews, Jr.,
1: Oh, uh Buford too. No? Oh, maybe not. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But also then also. Sam Bill
0: Miller. Here's a homegrown guy, Joe Girardi. Thirty
1: six yeah, years a, and old. A, and a second goat around, you. Thirty six years. He'd <laughs> been gone
0: for uh he'd been Shit. gone for a decade. Yes. Uh Delino de Shields played some a left field and uh, second base.
1: They acquired him uh at the trade deadline actually, and he was terrible, really. He won one game, but because here's the thing. Here's one thing that I'll remember. Just a weird fact. Eric Young was with the Cubs two th- two seasons. He came in with Baylor, like you said. He was phenomenal in 2000, man. He was like, oh, this is a leadoff hitter. He got on base. He was, played a good second base. The Cubs were terrible in 2000. And it was one of those funny things where in 2001, Cubs were good, and EY really sort of regressed. And yes. like, damn, why couldn't you have had. The season you had last year, this his
0: on, year, his on base dropped to three thirty three, and while he stole thirty one bases, he got caught fourteen times. Wow! So that's pretty mm. bad. Um, that's not to, well. And then uh, other luminaries, uh, Damon Buford, like you mentioned, sleeves, sleeves, uh, son of Don Buford. It, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, Edlin, when he was when he was a, accruing talent for this team, uh, if your dad played the big leagues and he'd heard of him, <laughs> then he signed you.
1: Okay. Once once again, though, I have to say that I, I don't think Buf- – uh, well, Buford probably was acquired by I was Lynch. I think some of these
0: guys were from the year before. They were left over
1: Lynch, Lynch was let go halfway through the 2000 season. So, going, so this is the first season going into the season where it's all McPhail. And I just want to say then going into the season, whether it's McPhail or not, it's McPhail because he yeah. was above Lynch. Either way, though, what you're just describing here with all of these, like, 34-year-old uh, position players around the entire goddamn diamond, this was the seventh season of the McPhail yeah. so slash the, Lynch The master era. plan
0: was really was really showing itself. Uh, see, former Marlon Todd Dunwoody played... Uh, 33 can I just
1: ra- raise a toast to having seen Todd Dunwoody with my dad in King County in 1994 uh, against the Appleton Foxes and uh, Alex Rodriguez? And I don't oh. remember. I don't remember what Dunwoody did in the game. I do have a scorecard buried somewhere in my house. I can tell you that future LSU quarterback Josh Booty went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts.
0: I did remember at game. one point thinking, if we're going to get a Todd, why couldn't we be Hollinsworth? <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, hey, that happened. After he won a World Series, uh, and then fouled the ball.
1: At his I just don't think pads work out with the no. Cubs.
0: Um, no, cause it's certainly not the current one either. Uh, so there are, but there were some, uh, there were some prospects, uh, some some stars. Uh, Julio Zuleta, of course, uh,
1: big fan. Was big this fan the year Julio. that
0: Julio did the uh, picking of the ivy? He had, the ball went into the ivy in and, and left field, and Julio, a first baseman by trade. Uh, yep. But the the living embodiment of uh, Pedro Serrano went into yeah. the went into the ivy and was looking for it and was literally just pulling out hunks of hunks of leaves and uh, yeah and the and there was a home run for whoever. Well, you
1: know, maybe it. he at one point. I'm sure at one point we had convinced ourselves that maybe he was the successor to Mark Grace at some point in the season. He did hit a grand slam. Oh, no, no. we Cardinals. knew we knew
0: who the successor was. He was working his way to greatness through the minor leagues. It was he, Sop Choi. We knew Yeah, that. that's true. Everybody was holding a seat for Hesop.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had uh, yeah Hesop and Bobby uh, Bobby Hill. And actually, I had goofed up with Patterson. Patterson really was an unknown coming into the season. He'd only gotten a taste the year before. Um, yes, and he had – this,
0: this may have been – I mean, he was a flawed player anyway. But the fact that he played um, – At 20, he played 11 games. That was at the end of the year. That wasn't such a big deal. But in 2001, he had no business being in the big leagues. And he He, he needed serious development. He hadn't hit above Class A, but they just kept promoting
1: him. At Class A, he raked at Lansing. At Arizona Fall League, he raked, and he was the youngest kid in the league. And so everything was looking great. And then the, the next year in 2000, in spring training, he fucking raked again. But it was still, it was like, all right, it could be misleading. And they're like, you know, even Baylor, who was the new manager, was kind of talking him up like, uh, you know, they, they're I think I kind of part of – Partly think that they, you know, kind of got into his head a little bit, but then he goes, but he went down like they prescribed and figured he'll be back. He went down and had a very mediocre season at West 10 at double A. I remember this, and I was like, well, hey, let's put the brakes on it. Let's not now promote him like you thought he would because he's clearly he's not maybe on the trajectory that we thought. And they called him up anyway, and I thought that was a bad precedent. Maybe sends the wrong message to him that maybe he doesn't have to work on this game. It's complex, it's complicated. I mean, he did have some success, he was up and down. Uh, he did not start this season with the Cubs, right? How many games did you say he played in 2001? He played f- 59. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he hit One game, he hit a home run off of Roy Oswalt that year. You can look it up. It was in Enron Field. They still call it Enron. He had flash. He showed some flashes that year. But, yeah, he was not. Uh, I was wrong at the onset to have him in that lineup. He was not really one of the poor guys. He but walked, as he you walked al- six times that year. That might have been his career high. <laughs> 33
0: strikeouts and six walks in 59 games.
1: But yeah, yeah, Hulu lot. I forgot about him. That's a good pull. Uh, he he was a Pedro Serrano type character. Uh, I was at, at, my only two memories was uh, one I heard on the radio a grand slam hit against the Cardinals. Always good in early June when the you know Cubs were good. So these are big games. I, I remember being at a cold-ass game in April where he hit one right down the line. Game was freezing cold, and if you can believe this, Bronson Arroyo was pitching for the Pirates. And Zuleta, freezing cold, wind howling in, and Zuleta hit a homer all the way down the line, which is, you know, hitting a homer down the line at Wrigley is probably harder than almost any other park, especially with the wind blowing in. But, yeah, he, he had the makings of a legendary uh, player, except he couldn't, uh, you know, stop striking out, I guess.
0: So yeah. the, uh, the Cubs, this Cubs team... Had a guy not he was not a Cub prospect although he spent a lot of time in the Cub minor leagues he he originally was a uh, a Brave and then a Marlin and the Cubs picked him up this was a guy who won he won a batting title in Triple A he's an outfielder do you remember this player he hit three fifty two for the two thousand Cubs
1: in forty five games so it's not Eric Hinsky. is it Todd My, is it Todd wait Chad Myers no no Chad it's Myers a guy who was I would, on the no. team but
0: no this okay. this guy hit three forty six. At Iowa. And and three forty six in Iowa
1: and he and what did he in two thousand?
0: Actually two thousand and one. He he did but he came up and played for the two thousand one Cubs and he played for the two
1: thousand Cubs. Two thousand and he was a former uh Marlin and Brave. Yes. Or future Marlon and Brave. No, he was former Marlon and Brave.
0: I believe he he may have gone off to Japan. Oh. Michael Tucker? No. That Michael we, we haven't got to the football. trades yet. Okay. Um, I Roosevelt give
1: up. Brown. Well, I hated Roosevelt Brown.
0: He was a terrible outfielder.
1: Roosevelt Brown reminds me, I will always associate Roosevelt Brown with the, just the stink-ass, early-ass days of the internet when all I had access to was Cubs.com and chicagosports.com, which was the wing of the Chicago Tribune. Andy, I had not discovered Scipio or Balls, or as I said, until 2003. So in the meantime, I can just remember raging against people uh, anonymously on these Cubs message boards who were daring to just talk up Roosevelt Brown like <laughs> he was really the answer. And it drove me crazy, and it didn't help that Roosevelt Brown so, was so, always terrible. So as you mentioned, um,
0: Sammy Sosa. Sammy had won the MVP In 1998. Mm -hmm. And he hit 60 homers in – he hit 60 homers again in 99 or 2000? He hit
1: 300 homers in a five-year period beginning in 98. I'm going to pull up. Of which 2001 – 2001 was a 60-homer season, I'm pretty sure. So he,
0: he, he hit 60 homers three times, 1998, 1999, and then this year. And he did not lead the league in home runs any of those years. (laughs) <laughs> but he did lead the league in 2000 and in 2002, he hit 50 in 2000, he had 49 in 2002. So he led the league twice, but neither of those years, his 98 what, season,
1: what, what years did he lead the league? 2002 with 49 and what? 2000
0: other and 2002.
1: 2000. He did. Okay.
0: So in his MVP season in 98, he had 66 homers, 158 RBIs. Um, he hit 308, 377 on base. 647 uh slugging. He led the league in runs with 134, RBI with 158, strikeouts with 171 and total bases 416. Mm-hmm. Um in uh, it, and in 2001 he had a better year. He had a, a, a season for the ages. So 64 homers, uh, so two fewer homers, 160 RBIs, two more. But he had 328 437, mm-hmm. 737. His OPS was one point one seven four. He led the league in total bases again. It was the um it was the third time he did it. He also led the league in uh in runs again with 146. And for the only time in his career, and since we just talked about all of the duds that were on this team, he led the league in intentional walks with thirty seven. That's, oh. that's a very bonzian. Number he was thirty.
1: Yeah, he
0: was a shade off of bounds. He um, was. Yeah, so it was an it was an amazing. It was but it was Sammy's best season. It was an amazing yeah, but, season. Given that in '98, um, there were he had better offensive players around him. In 2001, he had
1: nothing. It was all if Sammy didn't beat you, you didn't get beat. Uh, all he had was a a gimpy Rondell White, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's know. it. I mean, if you look at one of my favorite things to do, and I, I should have it committed to memory, but I don't. If you look at the discrepancy between Sammy's team leading, which was probably about 160 RBIs, you may have already said it, um, and whoever was second, which is Ricky Ricky Gutierrez, yes. who is, I think, almost one-third as many.
0: Well, I think this has to be a record. I I, I don't know for sure, but Sammy had 94 more RBIs than the next cup.
1: <laughs> Sammy had how many? He had
0: 160. Ricky had 66. Uh, 94 more RBIs than anybody else on his own
1: team. Very nearly three times as many, which, um, yeah. And so when I say at the beginning, oh, I kind of have nostalgia. You know, I have fond memories of the 2000, and I do, of the 2001 Cubs and how they, you know, they spunkily were in there. The, the, the real, the, what's burying the lead here is the fact that they were a one-man show, at least on offense. The, right. the pitching had to, this, had to be there, and it was. This All could right. be a game show yeah.
0: in itself. Let's play. How many more did Sammy have than the next guy? So. <laughs>
1: They're all over 100, because Gutierrez was second in 94. 64 so 90. more
0: home runs. He had 64 home runs. How many more do you think that he had than the guy who finished second? And I'll tell you the guy who finished second. It was a tie. Matt Stairs and Rondell White.
1: So I how, say Matt and R- Rondell both had, they had under 20. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to guess 16.
0: They had 17. So he had 47 more homers <laughs> than anybody else. So he had 47 more homers and 96 more RBIs than anybody else. He had... Let's see, what did he lead the league? He did not lead the team in triples. Ironically, this is pretty impressive. I'm going to make you guess. Who led the Cubs in triples? Was it Corey Patterson?
1: No. And his limited time The plan. reason it's impressive
0: li- is that this guy only played 63 games for the Cubs. Really? And he had seven triples. You already uh, met, you just mentioned him. He has His eyes were completely bugged out of his head at all times.
1: And I just mentioned him?
0: Yeah, I said we haven't got to the trades yet. Oh, Michael Tucker? Michael Tucker. Seven triples in 63 games. Wow. Okay. Um, oof. All right. Sammy led the team in... Uh, Sammy did not lead the team in doubles. Who led the team in doubles? And Grace was gone? Grace was gone. Um, Rondell. Eric Young. He had 43. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see.
0: So Sammy led the team in walks <laughs> with 116. How many more than the next guy?
1: uh 75 i'm gonna say the next lowest would be what is that 40 something
0: it was matt stairs he had 52 so what is that 64 it's the same he had 64 more walks than the next guy over double um (laughs) um, he also struck out uh 64 more times than anybody else todd Huntley. todd todd getting it done 89 strikeouts in only 79 games
1: yeah, As Todd you know, Sam, Hundley
0: struck out 89 times in 246 at-bats. He struck out impressive. more, much more than a third of his at-bats.
1: Sounds about his right. His
0: numbers for the season are majestic. Uh, 12 homers, 31 RBIs. He hit 187 with a 268 on base and a 374 slugging.
1: Can I just uh, enter one more Todd Hundley thing into he the record? He was yachting without the defense. His OPS 67. <sighs> Before we nice, before we shift and get into other things such as the uh, the Steve McMichael Angel Hernandez game, which definitely happened in two thousand one. But before we get to that, with Todd Hundley, if I could put a coat on it. Just to finish it, we started the story. He shows up, not really beloved to begin with, doesn't get a start on opening day, gets butthurt about it because Baylor starts Girardi and finds himself in this platoon, even though he's getting paid, he's a little bit of a red-ass. He's terrible, as you've already described. He's terrible all year. And, And here's my memory of that season and Todd Hundley's role in it. And I have a very specific memory about it, is that at some point in June or July, he got hurt, was put on the DL, and they called up Robert Machado. It was basically Joe Girardi and Robert Machado, and and I'm not saying it's because Hunley was gone. I'm just saying you know um, that things clicked, and the Cubs, uh, you know, were in first place for most of that summer. You said 96 days, and I'm sure yeah. most of it was uh, was in the summer. And I just remember that Hundley was ready to come back from the DL. And I'm just like, okay, well, look, they got a good thing going, right? Take your—I'm thinking in my head. I know you're a competitor, whatever, but like, just stay out of the way. And it was like, I, but just the impression I, I and I, I had. And I know that this isn't how it would really have gone down. I'm just like, it's just like he had to throw himself back into the team and. I, I was at a, uh, a game, I don't know if against Houston. It was, you know, every game was important. These are legit. These are exciting games. These, Those of us that lived through 84, 89, 98, you really recognize that in August you're going to the park and they're all big games, legitimately, not some sort of fake we're alive like in the last week of the 95 season. Like this is a team that's 15, 20 games over 500 and everyone's important. And Hundley was, ba- Hundley was back from the DL and uh. And- but you know he forced himself into the lineup, and it must have come up like two or three times. Huge situation. Just had the weakest at bat. Three pitch strikeout, pop out. It was just it was just infuriating. Like what are you doing here? He just he, he couldn't take the hint, and that's all I'm going to say about Todd Hundley. So I, I
0: I assume this was 2001. It could have been 2000. I uh, don't know. It could have been 2002. Well, I think it was 2001. Do you remember yeah. the game at Bush Stadium? It was a warm warm day in St Louis. And the cub catcher passed out.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. That was <laughs> not you going to tell another story.
0: <laughs> he landed in a big heap behind home plate, sweating profusely. Uh, There's even yeah. Chip was a little concerned as to how much he was sweating on a day that was warm, but not that warm. Almost as though there were toxins in his body that were trying to get out. At a day game in St. Louis after perhaps a long night the night before in St. Louis.
1: Right, which may or may not have been related to a 4 a.m. appearance at Mike Shannon's bar or the Budweiser <laughs> Brewery or the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Signing autographs uh, for Josh Hancock and the boys. The last one that I'll just point out, too, and I don't know if it was in 2001 or two, was – and I believe our good friend Mike Brett uh, hired Jim Essien and had, had – chronicled this one time where Hundley after hitting a home run flipped off the Wrigley field fans. So which I'll <laughs> admit sometimes there are fans at Wrigley field that deserve to get flipped off, but, um, let's not mistake that Todd Hundley was, um, uh, just all bad. So,
0: so yes, yeah, so a legendary season for, um, for Sammy, uh,
1: his,
0: uh, his last truly great season. Um,
1: I guess Pretty good no 2 standard.
0: still productive in 03 and then pff, he was yeah. gone by the end of 04.
1: But even in 04 he probably knocked out 30 dogs. But yeah, no I agree. And it's funny because last week uh we we did 1992 and you know it was a totally different Sammy. I mean it was equally exciting he always had the flair but it's kind of funny that you know we're examining a guy that swings from his ass and you had what seemed to be unlimited potential and then nine years later we're seeing this guy that is absolutely steroids or no steroids not the issue it's just like i said everything being relative um he was absolutely one of the giants of the game and that season statistically is just bonkers and uh that 2001 cubs team is uh, is not in contention, obviously, without that type of production. It's all they had. It's all they had.
0: So, uh, 2001, also, and Corey Patterson, not the, well, I guess Corey had actually debuted in 2000. Um, mm-hmm. A uh, future Cub fan favorite also made his debut uh, in 2001, pitching out of the bullpen. Do you know who oh, that was?
1: I know. I do. I do. Big Z, baby. Yes, Carlos. Right.
0: Carlos Umbrano got into 6 games late in the season. Even made we, a start. Uh, and things did not go so well for Carlos, but he was yeah. he was but a pup. He was 20 he, years yeah. old.
1: He made a start on the back end of a doubleheader in a series against the Brewers in which Juan Cruz, I believe, may have also made his major league debut. And what's interesting about that, Andy, you'll recall us us stat geeks, cub geeks, prospect geeks back then. uh, Zambrano had been on our radar for a couple of years, I want to say, by that, 99-2000. And Cruz sort of came out of nowhere and surpassed him. Uh, And they both got called up, I think, the same week in September of 2001. but, But Cruz was a little bit more of the steadier you know um he got off to the better start i think and you know, Zebrano took him a little while he did make his debut in oh two he thought he'd made the roster but he uh he had a shitty spring got cut and then but got his act together came back down the stretch and closed out some games and then from 2003 the rest was history but yeah i forgot that uh that big z made his debut in the 2001 season yeah so knows, uh, uh...
0: So you're right. Disco Juan Cruz had one of the most interesting seasons all in 2002. I'm only going to bring it up now because there's no way I'm going to remember this in 2002. Um, I remember chronicling how good he was at one specific skill, and that was giving up unearned runs.
1: <laughs> I think I, somewhere in the recesses of my mind I remember that. If
0: there was an error, Juan must have. was like, okay, now these will all be unearned, so fuck it. <laughs> Hit it as far as you want. I don't care. Have it.
1: Have it, have it. He
0: was two, in, 2000, two in 2002, he was 3 and 11 with a 3.98 ERA. Wow. In 97 innings, he gave up 13 unearned runs. Wow. 40 yeah. 50, 43 of his 56 runs allowed were earned.
1: It's the Way only time long. in
0: his career that he had a that he had a significant spread like that. So it was apparently a one season skill for one.
1: Okay. Well, but it also was the 2002 Juan? Cubs
0: were dog shit. I'm sure they were punting they were. the ball all over the field behind him, but 100%
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, um, you know, and that just sort of accentuates this on again, off again part of the Tribune, the, the latter half of the Tribune ownership, where, you know, they could be mediocre, which is what they're striving for. They could be good like they were in one, or they could be terrible like they were on, on each side of '2001. They would, you know, where well, they win in in '2001, they won eighty eight games. I Yes, eighty eight. Um. So, should we talk about that—the the hottest day of the season when Steve McMichael was invited to see, <laughs> take me out to the of ball course. game, before or after? The, we already kind of covered the three back. We'll get into the three back-breaking back games because it really defined the season. Um, I was at this game, and here's—I'm going to—I'm going to really kind of. Bring an obscure fact here that nobody's going to be able to verify, but I know it's true. So uh, take me, take my word for it, uh, if if you will. But you know, you don't have to. You mentioned, uh, you made a reference at the beginning, Andy, to high def, and you said something. Like, well, you know, high def wasn't around then. So blah blah blah. Uh, in July, I remember for this game. In fact, I went to this game. It's beside the point that high def was out. I mean, the technology was there and it was about to hit the market and it actually was hitting the market for fat cats that wanted to pay for it and could get the programming. Was this like how the and Cubs
0: I, played the first game ever, ever broadcast by satellite to Europe? It, it Jack, could Jack be. Jack Brickhouse well, got all excited we, about that.
1: We would need some geek way geeker than me. I don't know if it's some combination of, uh, of your guy in the Northwest, uh, Indiana and, uh, and, and whoever, who's the guy, uh, you oh, know, what like... I'm
0: not asking George Castle shit. So, okay. No. <laughs> That's not yeah. happening. When
1: I'm, what I remember, because I remember, like at work, like talking with a coworker, where he was going to go to Best Buy to watch some of the Cubs game <laughs> on high def, and they they were like advert, they were actually kind of advertising it, like Best Buy. I assume it was Best Buy, any, any 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 of those types of places that would be the first retailers uh, to sell somebody, you know, what would it be, like a $4,000 high-def TV uh, in 2001, that, you know, in order to generate sales, that was one of the things, that they were going to have the Cubs game on high definition. So getting that out of the way, because I know that uh, I can marry that fact to this game, just because I remember when it happened, um, and then there are so many other events about this game that etched it in my memory. So we're talking about a game... Uh, against the Colorado Rockies in 2001. Uh, if you have the screen up, you may it's, have to help me. But it's, August, July. it's
0: August 7th.
1: And I'm you got disapp- a game time? And I'm got disappointed. disappointed. No, the baseball
0: the... reference does not have the temperature. I'm going to assume it was 106 degrees.
1: Uh, they do if you scroll down underneath the box scores, I think. Like they have that other weird. They, oh, you're they, right. You're right. And what was the game time temperature? 92. Yeah, it's sun wind blowing out to center
0: yeah. at 12 miles an hour.
1: And that's oh, true. Imagine uh-huh. what Marquee could do with
0: that stupid wind <laughs> graphic on this game. When they, re- when they replay it, they have to that, add that.
1: All right. So let me tell you, having been to this game, um, Andy, I can tell you that I have no recollection of any wind. Um, and, you know, anybody that knows me knows that uh, i you know, of my hobbies, uh, you know, like, you know, collecting baseball cards and, you know, record albums and sweating. Um, I'm very good at sweating. So, you know, I I can, it can sometimes be a little problematic when, uh, when I'm out in in high temperatures and so it leaves an impression uh, just like I leave a stain on my seat. So uh, just for illustrative purposes, uh, another reason why I remember, um, how you know, I remember this game because it was unbearably hot 92 degrees at, a, at seven o'clock. Another thing I remember about this game was one of the very, very, very few times that Fred McGriff got a clutch hit, especially off a left handed hitter. Uh, it came around the sixth or seventh inning. You might remember the oddest of pitchers a left handed submariner named Mike Myers. Mike Myers, not, the, not related to the born on know. Friday the 13th, I think, or maybe died and was reincarnated on Friday. The, I don't know how that works. That's another one. All right. Myers is a left-handed submariner. At one point in the game, he came in to get out McGriff. Now we can talk about McGriff later or now, but just suffice to say that most Cub fans, not a fan, mostly because he got off on the wrong foot by delaying his uh, waving of a no-trade clause from a dead-ass Tampa Bay team to saunter on up to Chicago. But he didn't McGriff want to did come. show up. He didn't want to. He liked it he in Tampa.
0: He didn't want to. Didn't yeah, want to leave. Right.
1: But nevertheless, he did show up, and eventually, uh, you know, he he would always put up his numbers, but uh, he was a disappointment. But in this game, just in fairness, state for the record, that Fred McGriff did tie the game up in the later innings with a clutch hit off a left-handed submariner.
0: It was a a two-runs scored on that hit. It was a two-to-one rocky lead. He singled a right off of Mike Myers. Michael Tucker and Ricky Gutierrez scored. Sammy Sosa advanced to third. And then, and then who came up next to drive him in with a sack fly? Everybody's favorite all star former Cub and All Star. <laughs> Ron Coom. Coomer. Gave that the Cubs point, an Coom. insurmountable four to one, four to two lead. You can't blow this. You're not gonna blow uh-huh. a four to two lead to the Rockies because you've got David Weathers coming in to
1: pitch the top of the eighth. Okay. Now let's do now let's let's reset it once more and go back chronologically because so that was in the bottom of the seventh, huh? I yes. didn't remember that. I didn't remember the Cubs took the lead. So um, so yeah. So if we back it up then from there, what's going on in the game? It's it's kind of the Cubs are in contention. I don't know what Colorado is doing that year. It's a hot ass night. It's kind of you know it's a, a midsummer night. Well, they didn't have Don um,
0: Baylor anymore, so they were rudderless. They've been two years. Yeah, Cubs their-
1: Cubs had Baylor. Yeah, I don't know if it was Leland or, or what in the, in the Colorado dugout, but. Um, what happens was that, and I can't recall what play it was in the fourth or fifth or sixth inning. At some point in the game, there was a close call that legendary noted umpire asswipe Angel Hernandez uh, had blown. And this is 2001. I mean, you Google Angel Hernandez today, and you'll see instances of him just, you know, being a boob.
0: We're recording this on Wednesday the 7th (laughs) of April. And on Tuesday the 6th, he missed two of the worst Ball strike calls ever.
1: Can't wait to look it up. They're like, ooh, he's already,
0: Angel is in mid-season form right away.
1: Yep. And so this is 20 years ago. This is two decades ago. Uh, Hernandez blows a really bad call. So the hot, angry, frustrated crowd lets him have it. All right. Like I said, it's a full house. Everyone's a little cranky, you know. The Cubs are doing good, so we're, we're a little we've got a little more of a you know extra incentive here. We're a little, little, little extra juiced here, uh, and every it's the cocktail, perfect cocktail, with the heat and the frustration and the excitement and the pennant chase. And so, um, everyone probably knows what I'm about to describe here. This is the one reason why this game is really remembered was that the Cubs are in the fourth season of honoring the late. Harry Carey by uh, having a celebrity guest conductor, seeing take me out to the ball game at the bottom of the seventh. And on this hot day, this hot wild night in July, um, former Cub, former Bear, sorry, former Bear uh, defensive lineman Steve McMichael, who has been given time, plenty of time. on I remember this Bears, Pit, uh, yep. remember this crap Bear style. McMichael, uh, being a former WWF wrestler, in addition to being a Chicago Bear, very much of a showman made a big show of having some speaks with that home plate umpire. And of course the crowd just starts erupting, right? Uh, you know, you got this public spectacle of this Big, You know, this big man that's, you know, got the microphone and there's 40,000 people looking at him. He's singling out the home plate umpire that we were already mad at. And so it's pretty much whipping us up into a frenzy. And of course, Angel Hernandez has no idea how to diffuse any situation. He, of course, takes the bait (laughs) and he turns around and kind of does this sort of equally WWF showy hands on his hips and trying to stare down McMichael. Um and and that was that. He ejected McMichael from the park. The crowd was obviously fired up, and then they go on. Everyone was so fr- fired up, Andy, that Fred McGriff got a key hit off a left-handed pitcher. Um, and, and, th- and then there's one more thing, how the game ended, that we have to discuss. But the only other thing I'm going to say about McMichael's appearance that topped it off was how immensely uncomfortable it made his subsequent interviewer in the bottom half of the seventh <laughs> inning one chip carry. That's something you might have some memory or some thoughts on.
0: I don't remember. I don't remember
1: exactly. I I
0: know that Chip, I'm sure, was um, aghast at the behavior well, of Steve. Michael.
1: McMichael got uh, uh, escorted out in mid-interview because he had been ejected from the game first <laughs> of all, which of course made it safe for for Chip to, uh, you know, to then act outraged and not outraged. I'm sorry. That wouldn't. You know, he wouldn't do that because. You know, he wasn't going to take a stand like that, but he'd let you know that um, maybe I'm wrong. We got to find footage of that. If we do, terrific. We might not have footage of the interview. What I know we will have have
0: footage of uh, will be the final play of the game. One of the most entertaining ends to any Cub game uh, of all time.
1: Yep. Yeah, so tie game was it tied by them? It was tied. Yeah, tied. Yeah, it it had was tie yeah, high uh,
0: game. The the combination of I can't believe this. The combination of David Weathers and Jeff Ficaro couldn't hold on to a four to two lead in the eighth. So it was tied. Uh, the Farns had a restored order in the top of the ninth. So okay. It was still Farns tied had a good going into the bottom Pro- of the ninth.
1: Probably one of his best years. That idiot. So okay. He still uh, t- tied. And the, the worst part about it, the rally that um, that tied the game
0: for the Rockies was started by a triple by Juan Pierre. Of course. I'm sure he'd spent the pregame rolling his balls down the first and third baselines as Len Casper once famously told us that he liked to do. Um, Yes, he did. He actually said he rolled his balls down the first and third (laughs) baseline. Uh, I don't want to see that but I'm sure it
1: happens. That's okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I actually I pulled the game up just because I, I I can't I, it was it was a rundown of colossal proportions, of course, and uh, but it would appear that in a tie well, game you had I
0: believe that what happened to uh, to the star of the rundown Ricky Gutierrez I believe he Cal Daniels himself.
1: Oh, that's it. that's what exactly
0: what happened. He was right. on second and uh, and shocked so... as everyone that Joe Girardi yeah. got a hit that He yeah. rounded third aggressively and <laughs> fell right on his ass and then got in a rundown.
1: That's right. But, so he was on because he was on second base yes. with one out, first and second. Girardi lines a single to left, and it was one out. I don't remember if it was right to the left field, but Ricky's trying to score. It's ball game. It could single be a winning hit.
0: It was a single yeah. left. If it had been the center and it was Juan Pierre, he could have he could have fallen out and crawled home, and he would have beat the throw.
1: That's right, right. So he. But I think so, Adam yeah.
0: Melhuse was in left field, and you can't run on Adam Melhuse. Never, never. You're I would just even try.
1: So um, we'll pull up the video, I'm sure, and post it. But I think so what would have happened, of course, is that um, Gutierrez had to run back to third. But, of course, at that point, uh, Sammy, Sammy the most Sammy Sammy and
0: Joe Girardi were having a a tea party at second base together.
1: That's what it was, which made no sense
0: because why Joe could have basically uh, just parked his ass on first.
1: Well, it's Sammy, was, yeah, that's true. That, that's Sammy, true. Was, right. Yeah, Sammy that's was, right. you know, being Sammy. Yeah, what was Joe thinking? Well, Joe was thinking if he gets thrown out, right? I'm still, I I want to end up on second base. Well, it was that's,
0: one, uh, no, it was two outs. So, was one, so Joe's no, no, not trying was, to draw the throw.
1: No, no, there was one out. There was one out, right. He, Joe's drawing. All oh, right, it's there only there one out. One so out. maybe
0: Joe, maybe that's what Joe's doing. He's like, all right, yeah. screw it. I'll just get, I, I played for the Yankees and I learned how to do shit. And we're just, yeah, going, you got to
1: get. Get, get right. the second base just and in case, worked. and Sosa should get. in Sosa should get the third base just in case, which I think he was doing. But Sosa would, have, of course, seen Gutierrez fall down because that was in his line of sight. If you're running from second to third, yeah. so Sosa runs back. So that's where that happens. And then, so yeah, you had this carousel effect, and I, I you know, I couldn't do it from memory.
0: Well, it goes. Uh, the, the play was scored because there was an out recorded. Um. Girardi got a single, but was he was then out seven to two to six to three to one. But while they were running him down, uh Ricky got up and ran home and scored.
1: Yeah. Well and yeah, and that's right. He was holding and, and then because after Girardi and was out, then they throw home, but I'm, it's too late. I'm doing this from it memory,
0: was- but I'm positive you'll be amazed. I'm positive Chip completely fucked up the call
1: <laughs> no so now I can't
0: wait to find it
1: yeah there, there could be some more gold in there uh it was a close play at the plate, and that's what that's what kind of just it just sort of bookended or, or tied the whole evening in because they get Girardi and, and at that point Gutierrez is breaking for home and they throw to home and there was a catch and a tag and we were waiting on the judgment from a Angel Hernandez who this time you know ruled in favor of the Cubs and uh and, of course, uh, we went bonkers. We all went bonkers. So, yeah, kind of an epic, I mean, one no of those play. epic, you know, regular season nights. When you the park, you don't expect that you're going to see some game that you'll be talking about 20 years later. But anyone that was at that game uh, assuredly remembers it.
0: All right. So if you bear with me for one momento here, I'm going to try something that
1: may or may not work. You're gonna you're gonna drop in Chip. He's so reliable that even without you like listening to it beforehand, oh, I, don't, I don't need it, to hear it. It's probably a good bet. <laughs> Betty So here we go. Let's hear the call. Pitching, oh, Joe Carter. Getting, yep, defense. Joe Carter. And when you have all those ingredients, add them all up. It's going to be one and two run ball games. Broken bat flare,
0: left field base hit. Ricky around third. Here comes the throw. Oh, Ricky up. fell down. And now the Cubs
1: have runners all over the place. Why are we yelling? Fasano throws to second. <laughs> Girardi in a row down oh. between first and second. Jeff no. from Schaumburg High School. Let's and Girardi off the Nobody's at first. Oh. There's the tag out runner.
0: Yes! I knew it! He is out! No, Chip, he's not. he's not! They just won,
1: dumbass! Oh, he did blow it! He totally threw that call at the end. First of all, he provided. I'll let it run. It was a plan to play before, and now Angel Hernandez calls him safe. What a way to end the game!
0: All right. That's he I know I I, I I remember oh, of course this chip I, it's that's he not, not only exactly blew.
1: He not only blew the actual sequence, which I get it, was unprecedented and weird, and you're on TV, so you don't have to be so literal, but he didn't really, you know, he had a Fasano catching a ball and stuff, but then, like, he gets himself so amped up, he's such an animatronic dingus, that, like, he can't just chill and, like, see Angel Hernandez clearly give the pass interference, the universal call for safe, (laughs) and he's, like, calling him, he's calling him out! It's like, It's, it's just bedlam.
0: So I, I, I think I wrote about this. I don't think we talked about this. I wrote about this when, um, you know, so Pat Hughes did like three spring training games. And he's going to do, I think, eight marquee games during the season. And it confirms when you watch Pat. Pat does radio on TV. He just, he can't not help himself. He's he's going to give you every pitch location, and, he's, and that's fine. Because he's good at it. So it really doesn't, it's not distracting, it doesn't matter. But the thing you notice with Pat, which I've always assumed... Is that he does the thing all good announcers do? Is he doesn't tell you what happened until it happens. Chip's biggest yep. problem has always been that he anticipates what's going to happen, yep. and fifty percent of the time he's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like we can see it, moron. You're not. It's, he's the opposite of Jeff Joniak. Jeff won't tell you what's happening. Chip will tell mm-hmm. you what isn't happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, that's just, that's, that's a, just it. a perfect example. All he had to do was watch the tag. We can see it. And then Plates when Angel fight. calls him Safer out, you yeah. say what he said. And he didn't. And he blew it. But and it he, was
1: great. He just works himself up in the like, I got to say something. I got to yeah. say something. I can't have a gap in my thing. I can't have a, a silence. I got to. You know, it's just like listen, chill, dude. I mean, yeah, that's that. He did not disappoint there. That's great. That is fair. Oh, safe. Yeah. safe <laughs> just yelling. Just like, <laughs> are you a mental patient? Can you believe we made
0: it through an entire season? We lived through an entire season of Joe Carter, at Chipk.
1: Two, yes, two. two. So that's right.
0: What year did uh What year did Jim McMahon show up in the booth and Joe ask him if he ever talks to Pete Rosell and Joe uh, had tell okay, him if he died? Okay, right.
1: Um, I I think uh two thousand. I think it was either two thousand and two thousand one, or two thousand one and two thousand and two, where Steve Stone had some mysterious illness and oh, he had, went, he, had uh,
0: he had Valley Fever.
1: According to him, went uh, went down to Arizona, fuzzy uh, to retire or whatever. And so the Cubs tried this thing, where Joe Carter would join Chip Carrey on all of the Channel Nine WGN broadcast, and uh, our good friend Dave Otto yep. would join Chip on the K. On the back then, I think it was Fox Sports Chicago, uh, and that was before Stone came back. Um, I do Stone actually did come back in September, and we can go into this because we're getting down the stretch, and I know we're getting we're almost done, but. Um, In September, uh, Santo, you know, was, I don't know, maybe had to have more of his legs shaved off or just couldn't do a series in Florida. So Stone joined Hughes in the booth, and I remember thinking, like, shit. I mean, I know we have opinions on Stone. We'll get to him because he's in almost all of these seasons, at least uh, through most of them. But by and large, you know, his smarminess aside, even back then, you know, a competent uh, analyst. you know he doesn't get in the way um you know he he has his, his 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 downside, of course, but I just remember uh the Cubs were alive in this season in two thousand one, and stone joined Hughes. and I just remember thinking, that's a perfect like wasting all our time there's stone with chip Carry and then there's there's Pat Hughes with Ron Sano. and it was like nice to like listen to a game where. You know they worked well together, and you know I'm not you know not always going to say nice things about Steve Stone, obviously, um, but I will say that yeah, he actually was not a Cubs broadcaster that year, but he did do a couple of games with Hughes on the radio. It Does sort of bring me towards the last six weeks of the season when the Cubs tumbled out of the race.
0: Yeah, and the, do you the, remember? Well, Go ahead. The, the most famous example of that as I just pulled up um, was a uh, well, it was earlier than I thought, but it was August second. They're in San Diego.
1: That's the game. Game number one. Check. Game number one. All right. So, the last two months, I was wrong in my memory. Uh, and I, without even looking at it, Jason Barre was the starter. Jason Barre had a nice season. We talked about Ficero blowing that Colorado game that we just watched. And I always felt bad because Facero held the fort down, did everything he could in April and May. And he was just getting tired. And I, what I remember about this game, and maybe I'll be wrong. But I feel like Jason Beret pitched his best damn game of the season and that Baylor pulled him too soon after six just to keep doing his formulaic go to the bull. I remember thinking, like, look, the bullpen got you here somehow. You know, Tom Gordon got healthy. He came back. Somehow the bullpen has this mediocre team in contention. Let's stretch the starters out. Beret was freaking cruising in that game. And the Cubs would have taken two out of three. They, You know, McGriff actually had a homer in that series the night before. Uh, they needed to take every series, even against, you know, teams like San Diego. And, uh, I'll let you take it from there. Cause this was the rubber match comes in one won a game. They'd lost the game. And I don't know where they were in the standings. But they must've still been in first. Cause you said they fell out August 17th. Yeah. So they but this st- was bad
0: because we're 62 and 45,
1: 17 uh, games over and
0: after the game. So they were 62 and 44 going in.
1: Mm-hmm. Chance to go 19 over. In August. Jason
0: Bray had gone seven innings, allowed three seven. hits, struck out 12, and yeah. had only thrown 102 pitches. That was the okay. that was the rub. It was yeah he yeah yeah. You, you squeezed yeah. it out, but he had. A, I'm sure Groove okay. is thinking, well, got a three run lead with my lockdown bullpen.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why should yeah. I? Why would I let Beret get in trouble in the in the eighth, and then they have to clean it up? I'll just um, I'll just let That's these true. guys handle it.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So yes. So he we went to he we went to the mighty Jeff Fisero, uh, who had to get through the. Uh, it's impossible to get through uh, the heart of the Padre order.
1: Is D'Angelo um, Jimenez one of the guys. Yes,
0: D'Angelo Jimenez, Alex Arias, and even then a very Whoa. old
1: Ricky Henderson. What are the odds that Alex Arias would be mentioned a consecutive uh, podcast nine years apart since he was a Cub in '92? <laughs>
0: so she goes sideways uh, right away. Yep. Um, Dangel Jimenez gets a single to right. Um, Alex Arias comes in and he has to pinch hit for the guy who had pitched the inning before, who would go on to get the win, even though he his main contribution to the game was that he gave up the fourth run. He gave up an RBI single to Fred McGriff.
1: That's what I was thinking of.
0: It was former Cub, one of your favorites, Chuck McElroy.
1: Oh, another guy. mentioned. Everything, everything always comes full
0: circle on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to say that.
1: We, we can talk about we talk about 91 Cubs. I looked up Chuck McElroy after that. That guy actually has a transaction history be, having been traded for a veritable who's who of guys. We can get to that later. But um, I guess I'm not surprised that McElroy was mentioned again.
0: So, Sarah gives up a single to D'Angelo Jimenez. Then he gives up a single to Alex Arias. And now he pitches to mm-hmm. Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson. Strikes him out. Of course, that's what he mm-hmm. does. Uh, so he's got a three-run lead. There's two guys on. Uh, the last thing you want to do is put another guy on. And so uh, he walks Mark Kotze on five pitches. The great Mark Kotze. That brings up Ryan Klesko.
1: And Baylor leaves him. because lefty-lefty.
0: Right. You got the lefty-lefty. And so you're going to go to Ryan Klesko. And Ryan Klesko hits a ball to Tijuana.
1: Yeah, he did. He crushed it. Uh, and the game went from 3 nothing to 4-3, right? Yep. 4-3.
0: to three. Go to the bullpen. Yeah. Bring in the Farns to close the door after all the horses have been uh, yeah. frolicking on the beach. Yeah. And he strikes out Phil Nevin, another future Cub.
1: and another the great, guy mentioned last week is incredible.
0: And the great Bubba Trammell. So okay. now the only thing between uh, the Cubs and disaster is they just, all they have to do is scratch a run across uh, a completely in his prime, uh, Trevor Hoffman. And uh, no. they're going to do it with the following, uh, with Ricky Gutierrez, Ron Coomer, and Matt Stairs.
1: (laughs) All right, so maybe the 2,000 Cubs weren't meant to be.
0: (laughs) Uh, Ricky grounded out to second. Coomer flew out to center. But Matt Stairs walked. So bring in, put the tying run on. The winning run is at the plate. And apparently, every Cub in the dugout had already been used. In a nine-inning game? It had to be because... Don Baylor let Todd Hundley bat against Trevor Hoffman. Oh, I
1: remember it actually. Todd Hundley struck out. And yeah. And a ball, ball in the dirt, but you know, Trevor Hoffman. So a week later, they fall out. Of, so that, that's backbreaking loss. Number one, a week later, they fall out of first, but they're still alive. Right. First place. You know, you're around first place in mid August. You're You're alive. Even if the division sucks. And, you know, it really didn't next game. I'm going to ask you to, to flip to another rubber match around Labor Day weekend in Florida. And so, same thing as San Diego. The Cubs split the first two, and that second one was the game where I remember Steve Stone was doing these games on the radio because I remember listening to the second game where Josh Beckett made his major league debut, and uh, the first two Cubs batters both swung at the first pitch, which was driving Stone a little bit crazy. But in the third game, I think it was – would have been on Labor Day because I think it was at my brother's when the game started. It's like a holiday. Maybe no, not.
0: You must have been uh, playing hooky from work. Uh, s- night game, September yeah. 5th.
1: Wednesday, it was a September 5th. Wednesday. The, f- the first game of the series was Labor Day. That's what it was. So Wednesday game. I couldn't tell you any details about this game. Feel free to fill us in. All I remember, Cubs had a two-run lead, bottom of the ninth. I believe there were two outs uh, before Tom Flash Gordon uh, served up. A lead-changing three-run homer to Preston Wilson. Uh, just another. And that was that of the three games that we're going to talk. That was actually the worst. It just just was. It's, it was a game ender. Klesko's wasn't a game ender. It was just late inning, um, it, and it just you just felt. I mean, this team had fought, rallied around that one offensive, one and a half offensive players, Sammy and Rondell. Uh, they're alive. You just need Tom Flash Gordon to freaking close the game out. Instead, he serves up a three-run bomb. The Preston
0: Wilson. So um, the the Cubs had gone into the top of the ninth. They had five to four. And then young Corey Patterson hit a one-out double. Eric Young drove him in with another double.
1: Some State Farm Insurance runs.
0: Um, Armando Almanza is pitching for the Marlins. And he's so rattled, he then walks Michael Tucker ahead of Sammy Sosa. So here's Sammy with the Cubs up two, with two on in the middle of his greatest season ever. And he grounded into a double play. Oh, no. It was a, this is brilliant. I'd like to, um, Sammy didn't ground into a double play. There was a double play. Sammy struck out and Eric Young got caught trying to steal third base. Oh, my God. (laughs) But doesn't matter. Cubs have a two-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth. Flash Gordon finally back from his various ailments. We don't have to fuck around anymore with uh, Jeff Fissero and and the Farns and David Weathers. And uh, future Cub John Mabry leads off with a base hit. Uh, everybody's favorite, Luis Castillo, grounded out. That brought up future Ugh. Cub Derek Lee, who Flash hit. So now there's two on, and an- another future Cub, Cliff Floyd, comes up with a chance to win the game, but he flies out to center. So now two out. Flash is simply, um, he's, two one, one lead. he's one out away. He's not even one out away, he's one strike away, because he has a 1-2 pitch to Preston Wilson, and ah. Preston hits a three-run homer. And the Marlins win.
1: the The only batter, six. the only batter of the inning who was not a, either a past or future Cub, uh, ends up getting the well, not,
0: uh, Luis Ca- not Luis Castillo. Know
1: oh, right. right, yeah, but still, I get. I'm sorry, you're right, but of course, inevitably linked. Otherwise, to- you either were a Cub or a Met.
0: <laughs> or in <Cliff laughs> Floyd's case, you were both.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, so that's backbreaking loss number two. Now, backbreaking loss number three happens a, a few weeks later. Of course 9/11 happened on a Tuesday morning. Yes. All right, do I, we I, lose I'm going to I'm going to admit go something
0: very bad here about 9/11. Yeah. Um I'm going to actually call this I'll, I need to look at this here. So obviously Thank 9/11 you. happens, it's horrible. I um uh I saw the second uh we'd been alerted at, at work that the first plane had hit, so we ran to TVs to see what was going on. We saw the second one. It was it was Every bit as horrific as people think. And mm-hmm. I had tickets. Uh The Cubs were supposed to play in Milwaukee that night.
1: No, Cubs play the Reds. I'll
0: play the Re- on the 11th? Uh, yes, I, I had tickets. I had tickets. I was.
1: I had a date. We were going to see. I, wanna... we,
0: I had uh, seen the tickets to Brewers that year. So we were going to the. I was taking her to the. Uh,
1: oh, uh, that night? Yeah, it it was... could have been the Reds. They played the Reds the night before because the aforementioned Roosevelt We might not have been going to see. It doesn't matter. We might it not have been off. going to see the.
0: Uh, where I was going to a Brewer game. And then it got canceled. And then it became very clear that, um, you know, as, as the day went on, that is, you know, actually as the morning went on, you knew it was horrible, and then everything was going to have to shut down. And it wasn't. Then it was. I got home and just watching the coverage, and for the fleetingest of moment, I remember thinking, because the Cubs were one game out of the wild card behind St. Louis at that point, they were, they'd fall in third place. And I remember uh-huh. thinking, well, maybe this time off would be good for the Cubs. That's not a good. That's not a good thing to be thinking at that moment. But that's what I was thinking. How can the Cubs use a horrible terrorist attack? Your jokes,
1: like your jokes and your John McKay jokes about them being one good plane crash no, away right. from it's like, having oh, a competitive what if this team. Is, Careful. What if this is what turns Careful it all around? Well, you know what the Cubs could use, man? They just got punched in the nuts by Preston Wilson. They're, they're really, they could use a week off. You know that? <laughs> nice job, Andy. Nice
0: okay, so is your game number three the first day back, Tuesday, September eighteenth, yes. against the Reds? So,
1: which is most famous for back. what? What's it? What do people think of it now, as being uh, famous for this actual Cubs game? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. no, then it wasn't the first game back because the first game back wasn't Wrigley Field. They resumed the season, and that Cubs Red Series was interrupted. The first game back, oh, was right. that Sims was the hitting, hitting, hitting over. Yeah. over. So the so bad freaking losses games.
0: was no, the everybody right. remembers it for, right? Same game. Sammy gave Billy Williams a, a American flag uh, a prop Sam hit a home them. run Billy handed yeah, him yeah. the flag and he ran around the bases holding it. That's right.
1: No, so all right, same team, the Reds, different venue. It was in in uh, in, uh it was in Riverfront. Right. Cuz Great American Ballpark opened in 03. Uh kind of similar in some sense to the Preston Wilson it was a it was an ugly bad game. Um and I think Todd Walker was on the Reds because he did something in that game. Future Cub at that point, Todd Walker. But it was kind of a back and forth game, shitty Reds team. But the Cubs still managed to like take the lead by maybe just one run in the top of the inning. So if, you know if you look for a walk off loss, Oh, you'd be it's wrong.
0: Uh once again, the Cubs, the Cubs went into the ninth with a one run lead and this time Insurance it's amazing runs. how much he pops up. But uh former Cub and All Star Ron Coomer. Drove in Delino to De Shields to give the Cubs a, a two-run lead Man. going to the bottom of the ninth. Now oh, they're in here's, great shape.
1: Here's poor old Ron Coomer busting his ass to get the Cubs in the playoffs, and they can't get out of their own way. Uh, and so we already—it's—it's it's actually perfect that these are the three games that were the signature games that drove this Cubs team uh, out, out of contention because uh, their bullpen carried them, and yet the three best bullpen pitchers that year, Jeff the Zero, Tom Gordon, and now it's like not to be outdone. Here comes Kyle Farnsworth in for the save, just like Tom. He got uh, two outs, I want to say, but it was future brave Brady Clark, I want to say, yes. and I can remember I can remember the ball that he hit. Two outs, and it was a lead-changing hit. Again, lead-changing, not just a walk-off hit, but a lead-changing, meaning if you don't get a hit, the game's over and you lose. If you get a hit, you might win. Pops one up down the line in right field, and, and I don't know if it was Sosa, and I'm not blaming Sosa. It was a fluke hit, and the ball just bounced right inside the foul line.
0: So you're saying that, uh, Sammy Sosa and Fred McGriff couldn't chase that thing down.
1: <laughs> and nobody could. Was McGriff still in the game? Even, I guess, I guess in fairness, uh, it was, but it was another, it was, a, it was another, it was the third and cool final, one. it was the third and final gut punch because those are just, you can't come back. You have three games like that in six weeks. It's obviously not your season, so, so uh, he- but are games you have in the hand, Fred didn't play. Um, Okay.
0: Stairs played first, and then Coomer came in for him. Um, Rondell White did play, though. So it was one of his rare appearances.
1: Okay. Yeah, so
0: the ninth inning with the Cubs coming into it with a two-run lead. Farnes gets off to a great start. He walks Sean Casey. Okay. Gives up a single to Aaron Boone, then a single to Dimitri Young, and that scores uh, Sean Casey. So now it's a uh, a one-run lead. But he gets a, a Wilton Guerrero, Vlad's little brother, and Vlad Jr.'s uncle, presumably, um, yep. he bunts, <laughs> of course he bunts, Jesus. Um, so now Aaron Boone is at sec is the third and Dimitri Young is at second. Jason LaRue is up with a chance to win the game and the farm strikes him out. Yep. So now everything's fine. Cause here's this slappy little Brady Clark. He's not going to get a yep. hit. Uh, the Cubs have a, uh, their, uh, chances of odds of winning are 75%. Thanks to, uh, ah. Brady Clark Far, the
1: Farnsworth Brady Clark matchup. Uh,
0: it then shifts to uh the Reds winning percentage is 100% because Brady Clark has a single <laughs> to right, Boone scores, Young scores, Cubs lose.
1: Yeah. And that and that was basically game set match. San Diego Facero, Florida Gordon, Reds Farnsworth. Uh, th- there was a, a few other heartbreaks after I remember Ge- the aforementioned Gary Matthews Jr. came back for Pittsburgh against the Cubs and hit like a big homer. But in my mind, it didn't matter because after the Cincinnati game, it was like, that's there. You can't come back from those three types of losses like that in a five week period. And that was, it. it was, it was a weird feeling. It was like I said, up until then, I was 29 years old in 2001. Uh, the Cubs were terrible when I started following them. Out of the blue, they win a division in 84. They go back to sucking. Out of the blue, they win a division in 89. They go back to sucking. Out of the blue, they win a division in 98. They did have 500 teams in 93 and 95, but they they were in really in no not real contention. And so here comes 2001, where we're actually, as weird as it feels because the team mostly sucks, we're used to the Cubs competing and finishing the deal, because yeah. that's what they did in 84, 89, and 98. All other seasons, they just didn't compete. And um, and so it was a weird feeling to like, oh, this is what those DeRocher-era Cubs fans mean about fading, because I'm like, that's all bullshit. My life, Cubs are, you know, I might say more about them that they're rarely in position, but when they are, they close that shit down. But in 2001, we finally got a taste of a, of a team that was in legitimate contention and just, you know, Sort of faded out and had a few, you know, crushing losses that we've great detail on that, you know, pretty much marked it.
0: So uh, a couple of a couple of a couple bullpen guys that we we need to talk about quickly here at the end. Um, The Cubs had a former number one overall pick stashed in their bullpen in both 2000 Um, and 2001.
1: Todd Van Poppel. Todd Van
0: Poppel. Todd Van Poppel pitched 11 years in the big leagues and Todd had two good seasons ever both and with were, the cubs and they were both for the cubs in two yeah, years he was good two years with the cubs he was eight and six he pitched 110 games out of the bullpen he had a 3.18 era um, yeah. and he struck Did out we, 176 batters in 161 innings so he's a little over a, uh, yeah and he then went to the worst possible place he could the next year he went to texas where he was from and where uh, it was, he'd
1: already been there once. And things didn't okay. go
0: very well for poor Todd. But he should have stayed, stayed with the Cubs.
1: And, and I'm going to ask you for your, because I have a feeling you have a pretty good memory of this. Uh, in 19, that Van Papa was one of the more celebrated uh, first round picks, partly because he engineered some controversy by, what was it? Like not wanting to go to the Atlanta Braves, which is ironic because he might've gotten himself into a farm system that at that time was actually. Oh, that's right. He was not, he was not number
0: one, number one. And it was because of that. He, he did not want to, the Braves had the first pick and he didn't want to go there. And so Scott Boris was his agent. And so they basically said, he's not going to sign. He is going, um, he is, he's going to go pitch at the university of Texas. He loves college. He's going to Texas. He's not going to sign. So he was not the first overall pick. He was the 14th. Overall pick, and the so A's somebody still him took
1: a fire. On okay, a pick they
0: got as a compensation from the Brewers. I would love to know what who the Brewers which had- well,
1: and then also at the time because the it was like the rich getting richer, right? It's like the uh, you know like the Lakers drafting magic. I mean, they, like the, the A's were in the midst of their dominance, uh, such as it was with you know Dave Stewart and uh, Bob Welch and Dennis Eckersley, and it was like, hey, this guy might be around, but he muster for them.
0: Well, and it was the 1990 draft, so the Cubs didn't have a good pick because of their uh, of, the, of the 1989. Yeah. Uh,
1: they, were team. they were at the bottom of the round, so they
0: picked towards the bottom. But the, it was a good draft. the The number one overall pick was Larry Wayne Jones, uh, better known as yeah. Chipper. Chipper Tony Clark was the number two overall pick to the Tigers. Mike Lieberthal wow. to the Phillies. Alex Fernandez wow.
1: four to the White Mike Sox. Mike Lieberthal didn't mention. Okay. They've all been mentioned on the podcast uh, already. Pepper Fernandez have been.
0: Then you get uh Dan Wilson to the Reds at 7. The Immortal Barrington High School. The Immortal Tim Costo was the Indians pick at 8. Uh mm-hmm. Jurassic Carl Carl Everett uh would pick by the Yankees. The A lot of
1: pick. memorable players. This is the, what draft is this? 1990. Future, 1990. future Cub
0: Shane Andrews, picked by the Expos, mm. the 11th pick.
1: Hey, we mentioned Willie Green last week, and I roped in Shane Andrews because that was their third base combo in 2000. Pretty sure
0: Donovan Osborne pitched for the Cubs too, right? He did in 1996. Yeah. He was so, the yeah, 13th pick to the Cardinals. Cardinals took Osborne one pick ahead of the A's, finally said, fuck it, we're taking Van Poppel, and they took him and they signed him. Uh, yep. also in the they, also they in that first Lord. round, um Adam Heisdew. Uh Jeremy I remember Pitts. him in
1: Pittsburgh, right? The Heisdew 20, came out of Pittsburgh?
0: The Orioles made a relatively good pick at twenty. Uh they took Mike
1: Mussina. Ooh, Hall of Famer. Yep. Steve right.
0: Steve Carsey at twenty two, one pick ahead of the Cubs. And who do you think ironically, who do you think went one pick after Lance Dixon? <laughs> it would have changed the me. if the Cubs had taken it would have changed the uh course of his entire career. <laughs> It was Ooh. Rondell White. Oh. He would have never no played kidding. on the crap turf in Montreal.
1: Yeah. He would have been a perfect replacement for Andre Dawson in 1993. My gosh. Uh, let's see.
0: Midre Cummings.
1: Remember him? You know what? If Dallas Green was still around in 1990.
0: Yeah. yeah future Future Cub Scott Sanders uh, was the 32nd pick to the Scott Padres. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, Krufer, is- Kirk Dressendorfer. Uh, the no, ace took no, him with the 36th pick. He said a really long name. And the other bullpen guy I wanted to talk about, because it's a dispute that no one will ever be able to settle, is who was the greatest uh, baseball player ever to come out of South Holland, Illinois? Well,
1: Clifford Floyd, right?
0: Was it Cliff? Maybe,
1: was maybe it Cliff Mark Mulder,
0: Or was it Ron Mahay? <laughs> because did you know this? Ron Mahey was basically the Shohei Otani of his time. Ron was drafted as an outfielder by the Red Sox. Ron made it to the big leagues as an outfielder, flamed okay. out, and then made it back as a pitcher and had a had a very long career as a relief pitcher. For a guy who is, had already failed as a position player to come all the way back, it's pretty impressive. It's and he was actually okay a- for the Cubs that year.
1: I, I, you know, I know the name now that you mentioned it. I would never have been able to recall it on my own, and I, I, I have oh, nothing. Oh, I, I have to correct
0: all, uh, on the technicality. I think um, I'm going to lose the argument here because uh, he's from Palos. He went to South Suburban, so he's not yeah. from South Holland. So that's I'm what, pretty sure that disqualifies. Yeah,
1: it. it's back to Floyd and Mulder, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, Rod Mahay, vaguely, just vaguely. I mean, that, that's one you that pitch. kind of fell through the cracks. Rod Mahay,
0: the, after after cup. playing five games as an outfielder, hitting two hundred, returned to the big leagues um, like seven years later. Something ridiculous, maybe eh, maybe five years later. He yeah. would go on to pitch fourteen seasons in the big leagues, uh, and he had a three eighty three ERA. As a reliever. Wow.
1: Not bad. He did a nice career. Hope he earned that pension. Uh, a couple of last random facts that popped into my head. Two thousand and one was also the season in which John Lieber and Kerry Wood threw back to back one hitters, I want to say. That would have been late May. And I'm yeah, gonna tie this in. That's no big deal. Because, just pitch
0: against the Cubs this year, you can do it. Well, I think one Brewers was against the Reds. The
1: last two days. I think one was against the Reds, one was against the Bruce. And I want it I'm gonna tie this in because I know it happened right around the same time. I think it may have been the day that Lieber won hit the Reds. Uh, but there was one time the Cubs caved and let Ryan woo-woo sing uh, take oh, me out to the ball game God. so that happened in 2001 so um i think we've covered most of the, most of the facts i don't know if i've you know if anything comes up i'm sure we'll i mean jesus we mentioned mike Lieberthal has been mentioned in two two of the first three podcasts so He's ultimately done. i think everything gets covered you can't you
0: can't have a baseball podcast without a mike Lieberthal
1: huh. reference <laughs> It was uh, it was fun remembering Rondell White though he really he was one of the finest right-handed hitters in my memory that played for the Cubs. Yeah, I'm, he was a, I'm gonna have a, my last drink here to Rondell White.
0: He was a really good player.
1: Um, couldn't stay healthy. You know who they who did they trade last thing before
0: we go? Who did they trade to get Rondell White? It was a one for one deal. Was it, was it Scott experts. Downs? Scott Downs.
1: I don't know. I just pulled that out of my that head.
0: trade still haunts. Ain't even failed to this day because Scott Downs uh, went on to superstardom. Uh,
1: with and game. I just well, yeah. I, you kind of did, but like ten years later I'll just the, the last one was I saw Scott Downs pitch in two thousand maybe I'll save it for two thousand. I'll save it. Yeah. That's what oh, I'll yeah, do. Scott Downs comes up. We can't, waste we can't, it can't waste we can't waste all the good material, man. Keep it in the keg. All right. So that's the that's
0: we remembered a lot of crap about the two thousand and one Cubs.
1: For uh, for a relatively good team for once, but still plenty of crap, obviously. You take Sosa off that team. It's I would that it's, they have to be they're the best bad team the Cubs have ever had. Were they a bad team? They won 88 games.
0: Well, that's what I mean. I they were the best bad team because they're, other than Sammy, there's not much there. And no, they won 88 not. games. So I think they're the we, best bad team.
1: Okay. Better than 98? 98 might qualify as a, as a good bad team. Yeah, that's true. We, we could talk about that when the wheel lands on it. Let's make a note that if whenever 98 comes up, we'd maybe do a little comparison there. Okay. So. I think we could do that. All right. Well, until next time,
0: Mike. Sounds good. All right.
1: Many of us have herpes.